The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. If you are reading from the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, um, it can be found on page 920. So please stand when you're ready to read God's Word with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, sword, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. You may be seated. If you weren't here earlier, I kind of gave an eight-week outline of where we're going. The rhythm at Delta is that the first three weeks of the new year, we do prayer, word, and then the sanctity of life. And so this morning, Brady is going to preach on prayer from that passage that we just heard. And we are blessed, quite honestly, as a church. And we just had an elder retreat this last weekend and, again, gave God great thanks and glory for the ability that we have been given to have men besides the elders who have been a part of this church and are a part of this church that can teach and preach the Word of God uh, effectively. So, Brady, we're blessed to have you, and let me pray with you real quick, and then we'll we'll get on with the Word. Lord, thank you for this young man. Thank you for his ability to proclaim the truth and to do it um, in a way that honors you. Lord, I I pray this passage back over him this morning, and, and especially the boldness of give him the words, give him the boldness to preach the gospel um, of which he is an ambassador of. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Good morning, Delta. It's good to see all of you this morning. I just want to say before we get started, it, it's a joy to sing with you in worship uh, this morning. Obviously, up there at the drums, I don't always get to hear you all sing like that. That's mainly due because Charles plays the piano so loud. But uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, but it was a joy to uh, sing with you all this morning. Uh, as, as already has been mentioned, the topic for our sermon this morning is prayer. 
And more specifically, we want to look at praying in the Spirit and even the need for praying in the Spirit. And if you notice the, the verses that we just read there, and there was nothing about prayer until you got down to the end of that passage, right? But we, we read that entire passage for a reason. And that reason is because what Paul says about prayer in verses 18 through 20 are not in a vacuum, right? They're part of a bigger argument that he has been making. So as good students of the Bible, we need to seek, with the Spirit's help, to understand what the context is leading up to him saying what he does about prayer in verses 18 through 20. So I'm just going to give you my main point right here at the beginning, okay? Lord willing, by the end of our time here this morning, we'll better understand this. The main idea, spirit-filled prayer is crucial for standing firm in spiritual war. Spirit-filled prayer is crucial for standing firm in spiritual war. I don't know about you, I love the book of Ephesians. It is a, it's a glorious book. Uh, from the very first verses, Paul is teaching readers the grand and glorious eternal plan of the Father to reverse the effects of sin and Satan through the work of his Son and through the work of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor John reminded us on Christmas Eve, 1 John says that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We read in Ephesians that the Father, out of the, the depths of his love, has not abandoned us to our sin. But rather, before the beginning of time, he crafted a rescue mission to redeem, adopt, and restore his children back into a right relationship with him. Friends, that is good news. And this miraculous salvation... Paul goes on to teach, means something for our daily lives. And this is the second half of the book of Ephesians. So the first half is heavy on doctrine. The second half is heavy on how that doctrine is to be lived out in everyday life. Okay? So Paul unpacks for us that what Christ has done for us on the inside should begin to show up on the outside in how we live. He calls us to things like putting off our old sinful ways, renewing our mind, putting on Christ-likeness, not only in our individual lives, but in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationships, in our world. So all of this and more, lots more, is the context that precedes the verses before us. And that's why you see the word finally there at the beginning of verse 10. Paul is telling us he's connecting what he's about to say to a bigger argument that he's been making throughout the book. So Paul, he's now winding down his letter to the Ephesians. He has a few more things that he wants his readers to know. See, all, all the stuff that he calls us to, especially in the second half of the book, none of it is easy. <laughs> like you can go through the list starting from like chapter 4 on, None of that is easy. None of it is a walk in the park. And Paul explains why it's not easy. And kind of like taking a pair of uh, supernatural glasses, so to speak, Paul takes verse number 12, he slides it over our eyes, and he says, this is why it's not easy to do what I'm telling you to do. And we see that committing to follow Jesus is, 
is a declaration of war. Committing to follow Jesus is a declaration of war. So this is going to be our first sub-point for today. We live in a spiritual war zone, and we must stand firm in our mighty Lord. We live in a spiritual war zone, and we must stand firm in our mighty Lord. Now, he tells us this because if you don't think you're at war, you don't live and you don't prepare like you're living in wartime, right? So Paul, helping us to uh, see the unseen, so to speak, tells us that we have a very real and very powerful enemy. That's what he tells us. We're going to start in verse 12, okay? Look at verse 12 with me. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we see right away our enemy is far above our own strength. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We have a supernatural enemy. And notice the words that he uses, right? This is no little Boy Scout troop of demons with pointy tails and pitchforks, okay? That's not the picture he's painting here. But rather, look at the words, the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, an entire empire of evil forces with Satan at the helm. That's the picture that Paul paints for us. And his goal is to do anything to disrupt and destroy the work of God. Now, we need to remember here that for the Christian, the war has already been won. Christ is already victorious, ultimately, over Satan and sin. However, as long as we remain on this earth, we will continually face battles of temptation. Battles of temptation to distract us from the mission that God has called us to. So, Christians, this is crucial for us to remember. The penalty and the dominance of sin has been broken in our lives because of the work of Jesus Christ. However, the influence of sin still remains. We have to be aware of this. Being in Christ does not mean that we are immune to the schemes of the devil. Now, we don't cower in fear because he's a defeated enemy, but we are serious about him. We are serious about the power that he has. We realize on our own, in our own strength, we are no match for him. There is nothing down here on earth that matches the power that Satan has. But friends, in the heavenly realms, it's not even a contest. Satan's power in the heavenly realms is like a, a firecracker compared to the atomic bomb strength of our triune God. So it's not even a level playing field, okay? So on, on earth, there's no pat, match for his power, but his power is no match for God's power. We need to remember this. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You see that there in verses 10 and 11a. He tells us to put on the armor of God. So two things are absolutely crucial for war, strength and the proper weaponry or the proper 
armor. And friends, as Christians, we quite literally have strength that is out of this world. (laughs) We have strength that is otherworldly through Jesus Christ. The strength of his might that Paul talks about here, it's already been displayed when Jesus destroyed the penalty and power of sin and then reversed death. This is the strength that Christians are now connected to because of our salvation. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 1, that after Jesus ascended, he said, Christ is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. He's so far above Satan and his evil empire that Paul says they're under his feet. It's not even close. Every other evil force in the, in the universe is under the feet of Jesus. So Paul says, you want to be able to stand against the enemy, then you stand in the strength of the one who has the enemy on a leash. (laughs) Paul's logic is very clear, I think, verse 11 and verse 13. When we're strong in the Lord and we put on the armor of God, that and that alone is when we are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what is this armor? We need to take a few minutes here to look at this armor. Now, quite frankly, we could probably spend an entire sermon on every piece of armor that he lists here, okay? Don't worry, we're not going to do that. Uh, But as I was studying, I I was greatly helped by one of my favorite authors, biblical counselors, and he observed that when we read things uh, like the armor of the Lord and when we read things like stand firm against the devil. It's all too common for Christians to read those things and view like a posture of defense only and immobility because we're supposed to stand firm, right? But the thing is, this is not what our Savior did. Jesus did not come to earth to be on defense. Jesus came to earth on offense, He came to redeem, restore, make new. And as his followers, while we definitely do need protection from sin and Satan, we are also on offense against the darkness like our Savior is. So following and obeying Christ, that is how we stand firm against the scheme of the devil. So the picture that we should not have in our minds when Paul says, stand firm, put on the armor, is that we're just standing here facing Satan, and we're like, man, I'm going to stand here as hard as I can to resist you. Rather, the biblical picture we see to stand firm against the enemy is turning from the enemy, following and obeying Christ while our armor is up, ready for his attacks at any moment. That's a big difference. So, as we look at this list of armor, notice, I love this, there's, it's full coverage, head to toe. God does not leave his children exposed. There is no soldier equipped liked, like the Christian soldier. And all of these things are ours because of this, this. They're all spiritual blessings in Christ that we're connected to in our salvation. So let's put our thinking caps on here. 
for a little bit. Hopefully you've got them on already, okay? So just tighten them on a little bit tighter if you've got them on. So uh, the belt of truth. Let's think about this. Our, our enemy is the father of lies, right? The deceiver. But our savior is the way, the truth, and the life. And as Christians... Since we know the truth, meaning Jesus, and the truth of God's word, we are to live our lives according to the truth that has been revealed to us. We're supposed to be people of integrity. But that's not all. We also take this truth advancing against the destructive lies and deception of the enemy by spreading the truth of the gospel and spreading the truth of God's word. So like a belt, the truth of God tightens and straightens up lives that are unraveled and a mess because of sin's deception. The breastplate of righteousness is the next one. Now, first and foremost, I think what he's talking about here is the righteousness of Christ that is applied to our account in salvation, which not only protects us from the wrath of God, but it protects us from the penalty of eternal damnation in hell. But it also, God's, or Christ's righteousness applied to us is to motivate us to live an ever-increasing life of obedience to the Father. So, again, like our Savior, we advance against the selfish, prideful actions of the world with selfless, humble, righteous acts like our Savior. So the righteousness of Christ in us produces righteousness through us And that acts as a breastplate for our lives, so to speak, because it protects us from all the destruction and chaos that's caused from living a life of sin and disobedience. Next, we see shoes of the gospel. The gospel of peace. And I think the idea here is this. Gospel receivers should be gospel goers. Okay, And the going of the gospel witnesses to proclaim the gospel pushes back the kingdom of darkness. Because the gospel is the power of God. There is nothing more powerful than the gospel. And we know this, right? The gospel is the very thing that broke our chains of slavery to sin and death. But it's also the gospel of peace. It reverses the chaotic effects of the kingdom of darkness. Death is turned to light. Blindness is turned to sight. Those far off and guilty are brought near and forgiven. So we go because we want other people to experience this. Next, we have the shield of faith. Now, we need to be careful here, I think, because it's not our faith that protects us. It's, our, it's the, the one in whom we have faith. He is the one that protects us. Okay? And we must be aware that following Jesus, the enemy's attacks will not be wimpy. 
But with the Lord himself as our shield, God's children advance against threats, temptations, fear that the enemy may throw at us with faith in the promises of God. And God's promises are more than powerful enough to extinguish anything that the devil throws at us to try to knock us off the battlefield. Next is the helmet of salvation. I love what one commentator said here. He said, the the helmet of salvation is placed on our heads by the nail-pierced hands of Christ at our conversion. The helmet assures us that whatever happens, we will be saved and experience victory in Christ. So, like a helmet, our guaranteed salvation not only protects us, but it gives confidence to advance forward in our battle against the kingdom of darkness because our enemy can't touch the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lastly is the sword of the Spirit. Now think about this. Our Savior went toe-to-toe with Satan in the wilderness with this weapon. And if our Savior uses it, how much more do his children need to use it? Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God shreds the deceptive words of Satan and a culture that tells us it's irrelevant. Darkness has no defense against the word of God. All right, so let's recap real quick here. Paul has called his readers to be strong, stand firm in the Lord, He's instructed us to put on the armor of God. But there's one last crucial aspect in spiritual warfare that he needs to address. And that aspect is that standing firm and putting on is to be infused by praying in the Spirit. This is our second point. Effective spiritual warfare requires Spirit-filled prayer. Effective spiritual warfare requires spirit-filled prayer. So why do we need spirit-filled prayer to be effective? This could be a long list. <laughs> but primarily, I think it's because it's, it's too easy for us to relax in our walk with the Lord instead of staying firm. It's too easy for us to live life like it's peacetime instead of wartime. It's too easy for us to let the armor lay instead of putting on the armor. One commentator says this, Since the power to stand is ours, then why don't we stand? The gospel answer is not that our enemy is too strong because Satan is defeated. 
Neither is the answer that we are too weak because resurrection power indwells in us. Rather, the answer, we don't stand because we do not have sufficient desire to resist. I mean, let's be honest. We've all been there, right? Every day, sometimes multiple times a day. We know the, the dynamic range of desires that live within our hearts. It's not that we don't desire to stand firm. We do. The problem is that the desire to stand can be overpowered by the desire to give in. I mean, we love to hear the truth of God and sing about the truth of God when we're gathered here on Sunday morning. But man, the belt of truth might as well be a lead belt Monday through Saturday, right? Living according to the truth of God, speaking the truth of God, that is not easy. And we know this because we've all been guilty of living lives of deception, deception instead of lives of integrity. We've all been in those conversations where we knew the right thing to say, and yet we didn't say it. We love hearing about the righteousness of Christ applied to our account. But man, it can be hard to live righteously Monday through Saturday. We feel that tension of knowing the right thing to do and not wanting to do it. Whether that be in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our workplace, whatever it is. Paul himself described this struggle in Romans 7. So what do we do? Do we just wait and hope God is somehow going to magically flip a switch where all of a sudden we never struggle with sinful desires and then we're never going to give in to external attacks from the enemy? No, Paul calls us to prayer. Praying in the Spirit is what empowers us to stand firm in the Lord and put on the armor of God. Because praying in the Spirit invites resurrection, life-giving power into our lives. Power that we so desperately need in spiritual warfare. And in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, this is key here, okay? Anyone can pray. Matter of fact, lots of people pray to lots of different things. But only a believer indwelled by the Holy Spirit can pray in the Spirit. So what does pray in the Spirit mean? I think we can be helped greatly by looking at how the Spirit himself prays. We see this in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we see here in these verses that the Spirit himself is interceding. He is praying for the saints. And he's praying according to the will of God. So I, I think we can understand Paul's command in, in this way. Praying in the Spirit 
means praying with the Spirit and praying like the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means praying with the Spirit and praying like the Spirit. What do I mean by praying with the Spirit? Well, it's because the Spirit is already praying for us. Man, how good is that news? To know that even now, every second of the believer's life, the Spirit is interceding for us, and He's interceding perfectly because He intercedes according to the will of God. So to pray in the Spirit, at the very least, means joining Him in prayer. We pray along with Him. Now, maybe this seems obvious to you, but sometimes the very act of praying is absent from our lives. It is a struggle to pray, yes? Four of you are honest. That's all right. Hopefully, we'll get more there. (laughs) But how we pray is just as important, and this is where we pray like the Spirit, which is praying according to the will of God. So here's an example of what I think this looks like. And remember, this is, this is just an example, okay? This may be in the morning when you make up, wake up. This may be in the moment of temptation, maybe in the moment when tragedy strikes. Like the point is not when to do it. The point is that we should always be seeking to do this, okay? So whatever the situation is, you feel the desire begin to rise in your heart to respond, think, or act in a way that isn't pleasing to God. What do we do? Number one, remember the Spirit is already praying on our behalf. Number two, we join Him in prayer. And we pray like Him. So praying according to the will of God The will of God is that you live for his glory by his strength and not for yourself or for sin or for the world. So we're praying and then we start putting on armor. You grab that belt of truth. What's the truth we know? We know that Jesus Christ is the way to life, not the sinful desire that's creeping up in our hearts. What Jesus tells me is true. And what sin and the devil wants me to believe is a lie. It could be any number of truths that you plug in here, okay? There's tons of them in the Bible. So we pray, God, help me remember this truth. Help me to live according to this truth. You grab that breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, those gospel shoes. And we pray, Jesus, thank you that even in my struggle right now with sin, I have your righteousness. You have saved me by your work. That means I'm no longer a slave to this desire. God, I'm at peace with you because of what Jesus has done. So listen, this means that we do not have to hide from God in moments of temptation. But rather, we run to him. We pray, Jesus, you died to free me from my sin So now help me to kill this desire and run and do the right thing that I know I should do. We grab that shield of faith. We pray, God, I'm being attacked from all sides with thoughts, desires, temptation. But you told me you will never, I will never be tempted beyond my ability. But you will provide always the way of escape. 
The way of escape, friends, is us doing the will of God. So we pray and obey. So now in faith, I step out to obey your will, believing that it's the best thing for me. Now I want you to notice a couple things. That entire way through, what are we doing? We're praying, right? Constantly praying. We're asking for help. We're praying according to God's will. The other thing we're doing constantly throughout that process, we're wielding the sword of the Spirit. We're praying the truths of God back to God. Friends, there's no more powerful prayers that you can pray than God's word back to him. So you see, instead of just sitting idle, dwelling on our sinful desire that just keeps turning and building and igniting a bigger and bigger fire, what we're supposed to do is turn to God. We put on the armor. We wield the sword of the Spirit of God to slash through whatever lies and deception that the enemy may be throwing at us. See, this is the point. You can't separate praying in the Spirit from the armor of God. You don't do one and not the other. They go together. Continually. And as we faithfully obey more and more, we witness the faithfulness of God. We witness the blessings that come from obedience and faith in Him. And guess what happens? Our desires begin to change. Over time, the Spirit of God grows our desires to stand firm and walk in His ways, while the old sinful desires begin to fade and get weaker and get weaker. Friends, this is how God grows and changes us. We can't change it. This is the process that he's designed. If he just automatically flipped a switch in our hearts and our desire to resist the darkness was always strong, then we wouldn't have a need to rely on him. We wouldn't have a need to run to him and cast ourselves on him and saying, God, I can't, but you can. So we pray in the Spirit and we put on the armor. This is the foundation for standing firm in spiritual warfare. Now notice, Paul gives us some characteristics of Spirit-filled prayer here towards the end. And you'll notice the continued use of the word all here. Okay, That's just underscoring the importance, our dependence on prayer. And these characteristics, they make perfect sense in light of the spiritual war zone that we're in. The first characteristic we see is a a spirit-filled prayer is continual. Or spirit-filled prayer is continual. He says praying at all times there in verse 18. Like there's no hidden message here, right? He's saying there's no wrong time to pray. Prayer is fitting for every moment, and it's to be continual because we live in present darkness, like verse 12 says. Satan and sin take no breaks, no vacations, no holidays. 
With every second that comes is another second that we are in need of the power of the Spirit. Friends, this is not meant to be a burden. This is an invitation to a blessing beyond description. Think about this. Every, every conversation with our most favorite person down here, all of them come to an end eventually, right? But this is a conversation with the God of the universe, the creator of your soul. And Paul says, man, don't let it stop. At all times, be communing. It's a way of life for a Christian. There is no wrong time to talk to God. I think this is why he says with all prayer and supplication. Because we're in constantly in different places, in different situations, and there are many different requests that we're going to have while we live down here. And Paul says, all of them, take them to God. Thank you, Jack, for that support, buddy. (laughs) Next, we see spirit-filled prayer is vigilant and steadfast. He says, keep alert with all perseverance. And we keep alert due to the fact that our enemy is always scheming. Friends, schemes are meant to deceive. Sin does not come at us with a great big red flashing light that says, here's your death and destruction right here. It doesn't happen that way. And so often it's mixed with truth. That's why it's deceptive. So as we follow Christ, we continually check ourselves for areas that maybe the armor is starting to slip a little bit, making us vulnerable to attack. We stay on the lookout for how we may be being influenced by what we watch, what we listen to, what we read, the people that we hang around with. No soldier, this is the point, no soldier in a war zone lets his guard down. And we also persevere in our praying because the battle against the darkness is long and it's hard. Spirit-filled prayer is steadfast, though, because we know nothing thwarts the purposes of our God. And no matter how things look down here, Paul says in Ephesians 1, we read it this morning, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. So we persevere in our praying because we pray to a victorious, sovereign God who is faithful to every one of his promises. Lastly, we see spirit-filled prayer is communal. He says they're making supplication for all the saints. Man, I love this one. Friends, this is, this is such good news. This means we are not in this fight alone. If you don't think you can share with someone about where you're struggling spiritually, that's a deception of the enemy. That is a lie of the enemy to keep you from coming into the light and getting help. We humbly ask for prayer. We recruit our brothers and sisters to lock arms with us in our own spiritual warfare. And we see an example of this at the end of our passage. Paul himself provides an example of this. Where he says, and also for me, verse 19. 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Man, how encouraging is that? Paul, the dude who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, asks for prayer that he might have the right words to say and the boldness to say it. Who in here has not had that need? When have we not felt the same desire? When have we not had the same prayer request? So Paul sets an example for us. He knows his own weakness. He knows his tendency to give in to the flesh. So what did he do? He asked for prayer. He recruits brothers and sisters to join with him in his spiritual warfare. Because he knew that even greater than his tendency to give in to the flesh was the power of God. Friends, this is our example that we are to follow. Now, let's, let's do this as we, uh, as we conclude. Chances are that there are some people in this room where the Spirit right now is pressing an area of your life on your heart and on your mind that you know you're just really struggling to stand firm. You're really struggling to put on the armor of God. My encouragement for you this morning in our response time is this. Would you reach out to someone? There is not another person in here that has not struggled with sin and Satan. Reach out to someone. Say, man, I, de- the devil's kicking my butt in this area. I need some help. Friends, there's grace waiting for you. There's forgiveness waiting for you. There's the family of God waiting to come alongside you and join you in the spiritual warfare in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you, you say like, man, I don't even know the, this gospel of peace. I, I, I have no idea what that is. And I definitely know I don't have any peace in my life. If that's you this morning... My encouragement to use the same. Reach out. Find somebody in our response time. There's grace waiting. There's forgiveness waiting. There's new life in Christ. There's a new identity in Christ waiting for you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're fighting faithfully and you're standing firm. If that's you this morning, praise God. Keep on. If that's you this morning, my encouragement to you is this. Will you pray for the brothers and sisters around you? 
Would you pray for the person in this room that might be lost right now where the Spirit is beginning to open his eyes and the devil is throwing everything he can at him to keep him in that seat and to distract him? Friends, will you pray that the Spirit would overwhelm that person right now and draw them to Jesus Christ? The other thing I want you to pray for is just for our church, our pastors. We don't need to be naive here. The the growth, not just physically, but the growth spiritually that we are experiencing is a blessing from God. But we don't need to be naive. Satan is not happy with it. And he will do whatever he can to divide, to destroy, to distract the people of Delta and the pastors of Delta from the mission that God has called us to. So friends, will you pray for our church? Pray for our pastors. Pray for your friends next to you that may be struggling in spiritual warfare. That's what we're going to do right now. Charles, you can come on up if you want to. Let's go to the throne in prayer and ask God for his help. God, we need you. The enemy and his power are real. But man, it's nothing compared to your power. God, we rejoice that even in all his strength and in all his might, he's on a leash. He's under your feet. He can do nothing that you won't allow. So God, I pray for victory right now for every person in here that may be in the heat of the battle, that may have an area of their life where they're just struggling to stand firm. God, would you help them to see that hope and help is not found in staying in the dark. God, I pray for the lost that may be in here this morning. Spirit, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence right now that they can't help but drop to their knees and confess their need of you. God, I pray for our shepherds, our pastors, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them boldness to proclaim the misery of the gospel week in and week out. God, we need your help. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.